Welcome to the RSP cast, Campus to Canton and the RSP, Felix Sharp joining us once again every other week we get to do this throughout the season i always look forward to it felix thanks so much for joining us again you know i, I had my birthday recently and i was thinking about the things that i'm thankful for but if you would have told me like five years ago that i'd be doing a bi-weekly show with you i'm like that's not that's not true so i am thankful to be here i truly am and uh, we're going to talk some strategy today We've talked players in the past. I want to talk some strategy because I'm hoping that your audience is going to be playing in C2Cs uh, in the future. The offseason is going to be here. March is going to be here soon, and that's when we get into drafts. So I want to talk about some strategy to for them to learn some things that I didn't know when I first started playing in C2C leagues. And, and I love it. And we're going to alternate that with me talking about five wide receivers with some notable things that I've seen with their games um, players who will probably be in this year's RSP, if not next year's, depending on when they declare. But first, if if you're new to the show and you're not familiar with Campus to Canton, let me tell you, it is the most immersive form of fantasy football today. It's a dynasty football, um, fantasy football paired with college fantasy. So playing a college matchup and an NFL matchup each week means you get to insert guys in your lineup like Bijan Robinson and CJ Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr. These guys can help you win your college matchup for the week. And when those college players declare for the NFL draft, well, they're added to your NFL roster. So it's as simple as that. Go to campusdecanton.com, get started there, play both sides, play campus to Canton. Man, I'm excited to get started in, in my first league. I, I actually almost recruited some people to get started um, this time around, but I, I don't think they were the right match right now because, like, dynasty football is just a big thing for them. So, yes. so but for I'm those... going to keep pushing you that way. I'm going to keep yeah. pushing you towards getting you into oh, it. So. Oh, I will definitely. Uh, no, I'm sold. Like, I'm I'm there. It's going to happen. It's a it's a it's 100 percent happening. So so and I think you guys should be doing the same thing who are listening here. If you I know if you're a nut listening to me, then you this is perfect for you. And it's going to get your chops up for what's going on here. So, you know, with that in mind. What is the first strategic point that you want to talk about that's helpful with campus to Canton formats? Yeah, and I got, I've got five. I've got five. So um, I think the first thing we need to do, the first strategic tip is to understand the startup value of a uh, college draft pick, a, co a college startup draft pick versus an NFL startup draft pick. So your NFL, in backing up just a little bit, when you start a C2C league, you have a whole college draft, usually 45 rounds. The the rosters are a little bit deeper, and you have your traditional NFL dynasty draft. And again, when your college players declare for the NFL draft, they're added to uh, your NFL team. Well, you know, we see sometimes with new C2C leagues that people will trade NFL startup picks for those college picks. And, you know, it's something to be cautious with because – those college picks, they haven't. We want those guys to make it to the NFL, but it's not always guaranteed. If you would ask two years ago, you know who would have been the number one pick, number one picks in the draft? Sam Howell would have been mentioned. Spencer Rattler would have been mentioned. DJ Uwe Ungalele would have been mentioned. None of those guys are in the conversation now. That's right. Uh, early in the season, so it's just something to be caught. 
my first C2C startup pick on the college side was one Journey Brown, the running oh. back at Penn State, oh. super athletic, explosive guy. What a player. Had an outstanding, outstanding Cotton Bowl versus, I don't remember if it was TCU. I think it was TCU or Memphis, a, a Kenneth Memphis. Gainwell Memphis team. Yeah, and um, – you know, and he ends up having a excellent player, but ends up having a heart issue. And there goes, you know, my first round draft pick on the college side. So um, the the you really have to if you're going to do that, if you're going to say, all right, I'll give you my second round NFL pick for some college picks. You better understand the value of those picks and who you're going to be taking and realize that, you know, whoever we think is the number one quarterback, if it's Drake May or Quinn Ewers uh, at Texas or Drake May at UNC, I like those guys, but they can bust too. So you're giving up some security of the players who have already made it to the NFL for, it's just like, it's just like in dynasty, traditional dynasty, when everyone gets rookie fever and they want to trade for these rookie draft picks. Well, you know, we got to be cautious with that because uh, those guys can bust, as I mentioned, or they can have something happen that has that's not this health related, not football related, like Journey Brown. So uh, it's to be cautious and understand the value of the NFL picks versus the college picks. And you make such a great point about that because also these guys also are still growing sometimes. So there's growth spurts that are involved, both physically and developmentally with their games. And there are a lot of players who we weren't talking about heading into their senior year who suddenly we are and we go, oh, you know, if Jameson Williamson, Jameson Williams works out, how many people really were talking about him to the value that they, that they were by the end? You were, but that's because you know, you're the man with campus to Kent. You, that makes total sense. But there were so many that weren't, you know, so it's a, but no. that's, you know, that's part of the point. I, I remember Matt Forte is an example of a guy that people were like, who the, the Colts drafted who, you, you know, in the first round or Joseph Adai, you know, uh, was another one that people were just kind of like, why did they spend a first round pick on Joseph Adai? And, yeah. and, you know, he didn't have a great career, but he had pretty good start to his career that you would have thought okay well i could see now you know in the in the future so there's examples of guys like that or george kittle george kittle was kind of a late riser that was like you know and you know now you know you look at what his career was like so there and the well recent OJ examples Howard, uh zach wilson ramondre stevenson and the aforementioned uh jameson williams all players that you know their value were was low for various reasons. Ramondre Stevenson was a JUCO transfer who was suspended uh, the beginning of his senior year due yeah. to something he did his, his junior season in, in Oklahoma. The, you know, they had running backs there. Jamison Williams was buried on the depth chart at, o at Ohio State. I remember. So um, Jamison Williams uh, was covered by Alan True, a friend of mine that I went to. By, he was covered by 24-7 Sports by Alan True. Alan is a friend of mine. And I remember, like, Alan, every time Ohio State needs a deep shot, they go to this guy who's fourth on the depth chart, and he has good size and explosiveness, you know. And so that's what's great about campus. The Canton Leagues, you can get that type of player, and their value just skyrockets once they transfer and go to Alabama, and, you know, the rest is history. So Yeah, it's fantastic. A player who I, I'm kind of interested in seeing how he goes because I haven't heard much about him, and maybe it's just because I'm insulating myself more often than not. But it's Elijah Higgins of Stanford. He's a 6'3", 
234-pound receiver. At least that's what he's listed. And I watched about four of his games over the past month. And there were some things that were just kind of interesting to me about him. You know, he's a he's a player that really understands how to sell off the line in terms of attacking downhill, really gets his knees high, has a good gait, um, looks straight ahead, really sells the vertical. And with that size, that's an intimidating thing for a cornerback, or at least it makes the cornerback really alert to to the idea that that guy might try to run by you, even if the speed may be a question mark. And he's also violent with his hands. So when defenders shoot their hands, he has a really violent shed to be able to win with that. And he also has some other movements with it. But the but the violence I saw with that particular move helped me understand that he has the capacity and understanding of how to execute like that. Um, I'd like to see him use his feet a little bit better. He's a little bit more of a, um, you know, with footwork off the line, you want to be patient but sudden. It's something that Drew Lieberman, the the um, former Rutgers wide receiver coach and coach of current guys like Allen Robinson, Olamide Zacchaeus, um, Jacoby Myers um, down here in Atlanta talks about. And he talks about how you want to be, you know, when you set up a move with your feet off the line against um, – against um you know press coverage you really want to kind of have a slow fast kind of move you know something that varies the pace enough to where you kind of stretch it out and then explode out of it um and he has a really patient but sudden quality with his one-step stretch um and so that tells me again the violence of the hands the the ability to sell immediately off the line the patient but sudden quality and his size give me an indication that he has potential to become a good man-to-man player early in a route. Um, and I love that he also will work into a defender. He understands that his size is going to force defenders to turn their hips and go and with everything else that he does. So the fact that he's doing all that sets him up to be able to, to get separation out of his breaks and with a variety of routes, whether they're breaking back to the quarterback or vertical. And then when it comes to, you know, the ball being in the air, he knows how to track the ball and keep his feet on the ground because there's a lot of receivers who will jump too early, jump too late. He's someone that really knows that he's confident in his eyes to be able to see where the ball is traveling and extend his body um, before he leaves his feet. And so that's a that's a real positive that a lot of receivers who are even more heralded have difficulty with. And I like that as big as he is, he has enough bend to reach for low targets below his waist um, and really extend to win while on the run. And the my probably my favorite thing about him is that he consistently uses that overhand position to attack the ball whenever it's feasible. He doesn't he doesn't change, you know, if the ball's in his numbers, he doesn't switch to underhand when he can use overhand. If it's at his waist, he'll even crouch a little bit to use overhand position to catch the ball and he'll attack it at the earliest point. And there are so many NFL receivers. I just watched Scotty Miller drop it. We watched him drop a red zone pass where he had it right and then he like changed his mind. Yeah. Yeah, and he kind of yeah, and he, Scotty was targeted heavily on that drive, and then dropped the touchdown pass. Yeah, exactly. And and you see receivers do that. Gabriel Davis has that problem where he second guesses a lot and uses underhand when he should use overhand. 
And this is one of those things that when you have a player like Higgins who does that as a default mechanism on routes, even where a lot of people would say, well, it's okay to go underhand here. That's a, that's a real positive. My, my only thing with him that, you know, I will, I, there's a lot of things I can point out, but my last thing I'd point out is that he's a, that you'd like to see him use his size a little bit better as good of a tracker as he is when he has to jump back to the ball on fade routes, he can wait a little bit late and that forces him to lean back and crane backwards and open his chest to the defender. If he can fix that. Um, and I, I, and it's not, there's no reason that he shouldn't be able to, if he tracks the ball as well as he does in other plays, um, he's going to be an interesting player, even if he doesn't have great speed, because if the NFL doesn't have an answer for cover two with what they're doing with their previous iterations of small, big play slot receivers, then they're going to go back to the big guys who have the chance to show that they can block and post up and be effective in the run game. So to me, I look at this guy and at 6'3", 234, if he's truly 234, then you wonder, is could he be a move tight end? Um, or... Is he a, is he a, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because his comparison for 24-7 was um, Evan Ingram. There you go. He wasn't even comped to a a wide receiver. He was comped to, to Evan Ingram, a, a move tight end. That's great. Yeah, so totally like that. You can see that as a as a perfect example of where he could go. And, and you look at someone like Joe Fortson, who may not be a big deal in fantasy right now, and may never be, but the Valdosta State kid is kind of in that size range. And you could see that he is a factor for the Chiefs, even if they're just using him more as a blocker and occasional red zone threat. Um, so yeah, Elijah Higgins is my first guy that I wanted to bring up that that just kind of caught my eye as someone that um, maybe scoring, you know, I haven't really heard a lot, you know, in on the internet about him, but I but I kind of liked a lot of what I saw. So it sounds like what somebody should do is if they're in the C2C league, you know, make a trade for some other player and then target Elijah Higgins as a throw-in. I just looked at our rankings at Campus Canton, and he is, you know, he's our wide receiver 174, so pretty low. But, Mike, I don't have any strong uh, opinions on Elijah Higgins, but my colleague Austin Nace had been a fan of him uh, early on. I mean, he has high recruiting pedigree. He was a 15th wide receiver in his class what class was that 2019 so i mean this was a player that had high expectations and he came into college at 63215 so when we're going through and looking at size weights i mean that's that would really stand out so um uh it sounds like you know this is a player that you, you might be able to add uh for very cheaply if you're if you're in a c2c uh so pay so pay attention <laughs> Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, and he may end up a, an undrafted free agent or or late round guy just based on what his his production profile I, has been. Please, can I ask? Because I was a I was a fan of Semi Fihoko, who went to the same school, and you know, a bigger, also a bigger wide receiver now with the Dallas Cowboys. How would you compare um, Elijah Higgins to Semi Fihoko? I thought Elijah Higgins was a little more explosive, um, from what I could tell. Um, and it's early yet. I'll probably have another four or five games to watch. But from what I saw, it seemed like he could get separation. I liked his tracking a little bit better. Um, I, I, I think I like him right now at this stage better than I liked Fihoko at the stage that Fihoko was at. Um, so it's um, so we'll see. Yeah. 
So who, what's your second tip for, for folks? Yeah, yeah, sure. This is, uh, again, we're going to draft uh, tips. So, again, there's an NFL draft and a college draft. And in, I think people understand, you know, you draft the NFL draft the way you would any dynasty league. But on the college side, uh, you have to understand the difference between a Debbie player, a Debbie short for developmental. These are guys that we are projecting to the NFL, and CFF or college fantasy football, those players. So you can pretty much drop all college players into either one of those two buckets or they don't get any bucket and they don't have any value. And one of the biggest mistakes that I made uh, in my first C2C league was drafting um, college fantasy producers who didn't have you know high NFL ceilings or high NFL potential for draft capital, just drafting them too early. Warren Jackson was one. I was okay. a big fan of Warren Jackson at Colorado State, a six foot six uh, wide receiver who moved like a much smaller player, was very productive. You know, he was someone who was going to score points for me, and I thought that you know I'm going to go get this guy. Uh, and I drafted him way too early, like maybe the fifth or sixth round, which is not when I should have been drafting. I could have waited a long time to draft Warren Jackson if I wanted to. Another player that I made a mistake. On was George Halani. George Halani is a uh, running back out of Boise State who had an excellent freshman season. And I'm like, I'm going to get this Boise State running back and I'm going to ride him and he's going to be an NFL draft pick. Well, you know, it doesn't turn out that way. So um, just understanding the difference between a Debbie player and, an, uh, and a college fantasy producer is really, really important because you're developing a pipeline. Yeah. You know, you're developing a pipeline to your to your NFL team. So when you take these swings with a group of five player and uh, 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 you know and you miss, it can hurt you down the line. So that is the so generally speaking, you're drafting Devi players first, and maybe for the first ten rounds or so, you're yes, you're drafting for your college side so you can win your college matchup each week, but you're really drafting because you want you you're projecting some of these guys to the NFL. You know, um, Josh Downs at UN at North Carolina is going to be a, a, a high uh, C2C draft pick, draft pick on the college side. His teammate, Drake May. Um, let's see, is there a uh, Brock Bowers tight end at, at Georgia going to be a high uh, uh, C2C draft pick on the college side. Um, and so we're just going to go through these guys, freshman, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior, the guys that were, projecting to the NFL or we feel confident that they will be some sort of NFL draft pick. We're going to take all of those guys pretty much first before we go and get um, the G5 producers who score a lot of points but aren't necessarily NFL draft picks. And I don't want to cut myself off because I want to say something else. Ah, yeah, okay, I do want to So, um, but the interesting thing is, is that you can take these college producers late who you think that they're just, you know, guys who are going to score a lot of points when we're recording right now on Tuesday night. Maction is on. You get a lot of high-scoring games during these Matt Conference games. Well, every once in a while, you get a player like Dwayne Eskridge out of Michigan State or Sky Moore out of Michigan State. Yeah. And lo and behold, they're second-round draft picks. Or um, th this year, I mean, I, I, I'm a really a big fan of uh, Dwayne McBride out of UAB, you know, a guy who's going to – uh, score for you. We actually have uh, Bailey Zappi, Bailey Zappi at Western Kentucky last year scored the most points for college fantasy producer ever of all time. And now he's, you know, considered to be in, in this quarterback controversy with, with Mac Jones. So every once in a while you get lucky, but we still need to 
value these these power five conference guys who are we were you know they have a high level of college competition and we are projecting to the nfl we need to take those guys first before we um get our college fantasy producers yeah makes total sense makes total sense well guy who i've heard about a little bit and i finally got to watch this week was out of maryland rakeem jarrett um, number one out of Maryland, who was a five-star prospect, I believe, um, to LSU, but then flipped to Maryland. And what was interesting to me is I was kind of surprised at how inconsistent he was at catching the ball when it wasn't on his frame. Um, so to me, you want receivers who can work, um, who can extend for the ball, against the grain of their break point, away from their body. And I, I thought that he has to do more work drilling his hands so that he's ingrained at all the angles he needs to use the, the right positions um, to, to be able to catch the ball and do it with the earliest possible attack. Um, I felt like that that was an issue with him. Now, what was fascinating is while he seemed to have issues with his hands at the catch point, which is the most important thing for fantasy um, for a wide receiver in many respects. His hands as a blocker were fantastic. Like he's really savvy with countering attacks in multiple ways that displays quick thinking. I thought he had versatile technique to, to chop down hands and then get his hands into the man. Um, you see him do a pretty good job on punt coverage. Um, they actually use him on punt coverage and he maintains his position downhill against the blocker. He knows how to cut off his opponents and, and to be able to pursue with a good angle. And he's a, he's a rap tackler. So I was like, I, I was, I'm like, well, you know, if the bottom falls out of his draft stock, he's still gonna, he's still gonna have an opportunity to make on special teams and that's going to endear him to scouts. And then he, and then he could build his game from there. I mean, Stefan, we got to remember, Stefan Diggs wasn't a first-round pick. Um, and he certainly had a lot of skills you could measure that people loved coming out of school. But they also saw him as, well, he can return punts. He can be a, a special teamer to a certain degree and work his way up. And he did work his way up into a premier position. Now, you know, same thing with his hands when he's um, releasing from the line of scrimmage. He has a really good wipe with violence, you know, where you where um, you bring the arm down, you know, you have your hands to the sky and you bring the arm down on the defender when they, they shoot their hands at you. He's really good at really quick with being able to reduce that shoulder too at the top of the stem. Um, you know, he's got that notable acceleration you want from a, from a receiver and he really knows how he can stack defenders. He'll do it even on intermediate routes um, and set up defenders with little peaks or insets um, during his stems to, to tell a bit of a story and get the defender who's chasing him um, off his scent and in the wrong direction. Um, so he's really good at, at those things. And so there's skills with his hands that I love. There's quickness that I love. There's that mentality you want of a football player, but just has to work on his hands to at the catch point. Yeah, and Rakeem Jared, because of some of the things you said are why we had high expectations for him. He was a five-star prospect. He flipped on signing day. Uh, Mike Oxley got him in Maryland. I think he's from that area. I think that that's why he uh, he, he stayed at Maryland. Uh, I think that at one point they were trying to get 
Caleb Williams, who's at USC now, they all is from that area. Also, they're trying to get him to commit to uh, to Maryland. Anyway, um, we did have high expectations for him, high, high pedigree prospect, but we didn't see the production that we thought we would see from him. His teammate is Dante Demas. Uh, Dante Demas had a knee injury, and before that, many thought that he was, you know, a potential uh, uh, high draft capital. NFL wide receiver. And when Demas went down last season, we didn't really see Rakeem Jared's production pick up like we thought he would. Um, his freshman year, Rakeem Jared and Matt, you, I don't know, I don't know if you went back to his freshman year, but he scored twice on the same play versus Penn State. They run this little pick play, slant underneath, you know, pick right on over top, and he scored on the same play. And that caused his value to really skyrocket in, in our community. But we didn't see progress past that. All that being said, um, you mentioned his acceleration. Uh, he's on Bruce Feldman's freak list, athletic freak list, which I know I've mentioned a couple of times on this show. I think he's he's somewhere on there. He's going to be a very athletic player. And you mentioned his special teams ability. Reminds me of uh, is it Devin Th- Devin Thomas? Devin yes, Thomas, who Michigan was, uh, State. Uh, yeah. Well, of course. I mean, yeah. That, yeah, and who was a what a second round draft pick, and then ended up having a career as a special teamer. So. One of my first, um, one of my first bad calls of the guy I was oh, really yeah. enamored with was Devin Thomas. Oh, oh, oh wow, okay. yeah, yeah. But he's he's also our. I mean, we did have he he's our wide receiver twenty four at Campus Scan. So you know, relatively high. Yeah, nice stuff. So what's your what's your third tip? My third tip is. Um, is well, how how should I say this? I just have I have follow college systems on my notes here, but I don't know if that's the most articulate way to say it. But yes, follow college systems. So what I mean by that is is there are certain positions, certain coaches that develop certain positions, and those players end up having success in the NFL because of. You know, either they um, scout or recruit a certain type of profile that ends up doing well in the NFL or for some other reasons. Just some examples. Um, uh, Brett Bielema, the longtime head coach at um, Wisconsin. When he leaves Wisconsin, he goes to Arkansas. Well, he produces Jonathan Williams and I can't remember another uh, running back there and guys who ended up having NFL careers because – these Wisconsin coaches get these big physical backs who can be bell cows and be bruisers. And Brett Bielema, even though he's not at Wisconsin anymore, he's taken that system with him. So he took it to with him to Arkansas. He's taken it with him to Illinois. And now people are talking about Chase Brown being an NFL draft pick. And uh, just to use that, ex- accentuate that example even further, uh, behind Chase Brown is a is a sophomore named Josh McCray, who is also you know, six foot one, two hundred thirty pounds, athletic, you know, light feet. And they have a freshman coming in. <laughs> they have a freshman coming in who's like six two, two forty, and plays safety, and he's going to be play running back at at Illinois. So they you know continue to um, scout and recruit the same type of player. And so, you know, in C2Cs, we're dealing with probabilities. It's hard to project a guy from his freshman year to the NFL. So let's rely on some guys who have have, have had some success, some coaches that have had some success. Some other examples, Lincoln Riley's quarterbacks. Um, 
Uh, Phil Longo. Phil Longo is the offensive coordinator at North Carolina. Before that, he was at Ole Miss. His wide receivers included Elijah Moore in that slot, uh, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. That slot wide receiver position is really, really valuable um, in, in college fantasy and in projecting for the NFL. So who holds that position right now? It's Josh Downs. In previous years, it had been uh, Elijah Moore. So Phil Longo, some other example, Lincoln Riley's quarterbacks. Um, on the other hand – on the other hand, we also, in our community, we fade coaches who don't pr- traditionally produce players at certain positions. One prime example this year is um, Miami underwent a my, the University of Miami underwent a coaching change this last off season. Uh, they had Rhett Lashley. Uh, well, Manny Diaz was the head coach. Rhett Lashley was the offensive coordinator. Rhett Lashley comes from this spread Sonny Dykes system. Well, in that system, last season, Tyler Van Dyke, who started the season as the backup to De'Eric King, has an excellent season. You know, after De'Eric King went out with an injury, people are projecting this guy to the to the NFL. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. Well, they end, after Mario Cristobal comes in from Oregon, to he's a defensive head coach somebody who wants to run the ball. They interviewed a lot of offensive coordinators. Who did they bring in? They brought in somebody from Michigan. All right. Now, you know, we Michigan not really known for Jim Harbaugh, not really known for tossing the ball around and having a whole the lot of khaki pants of offense right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, and what's happened with their offense? It's been t- Tyler Van Dyke has not been a fit, yeah. has not been a fit. So, um, and I've, it was one of the things that I was bemoaning. I was like, oh, no, this guy, he's going to go in and he's going to tank Tyler Van Dyke's value. And sure enough, and sure enough, he, he has. So um, just just uh, understanding the value of, of uh, certain positions in, in offensive coordinators or, or coaches' schemes, uh, that's something that we're very sensitive to. And there are, I mean, you know, Kyle Francis, who used to be at Debbie Watch, I mean, he knows this stuff like a back. He could probably give you 25 examples, but it's just something sure. to pay attention to. So it sounds to me like the strategy uptake of that is is that it it's probably best when you're drafting campus to Canton players that you're that when you're drafting early, like you said with your first piece of advice, that you're drafting the NFL prospects who also are who have the physical builds, but also have the system in terms of the coach and the system to really help develop them and have a a history with that. Whereas the players that you may like and think that they can be really productive or think might be NFL prospects, but they don't have a good system, you still draft them and they might buck that because as we know in NFL scouting, like you, you don't scout the logo, but in, if you're playing fantasy, it's just like you don't draft Najee Harris if you know the offensive line is going to be craptastic. Um, so right. it's it's you're at least you're not going to draft them that high. You're drafting you're going to draft them low enough that hopefully you get value uh, upon that. And I think that sounds like this a similar concept for that. Is yeah, you're not writing guys off, but you're just not going to make them the draft day priority. And I do want to you know uh, note that we understand and appreciate not scouting the logo. We still scout the player, but it's more like we're scouting the match of them yes. together. Yes. So, yeah. Because it's fit system fit, just like we yeah. do post-draft when we 
look at fantasy exactly. and go, this guy yes. may be the most talented guy in the draft, but he's on a horrible, he's a horrible situation. Um, that makes total sense. Well, guy who uh, I know that you've talked about before is Penn State's Parker Washington, and he's going to be my number three guy who I looked at this weekend. I watched him against Michigan a couple of times. I watched him against Auburn and Ohio State um, and uh, a few other places. And, and you know, I loved his play strength. I think that he's very good at being able to pull away from tight contact of defenders at the top of vertical stems where his break is at an angle. So, like, if he's if he's breaking, like, on an over route or a post or a skinny post or something that could be like that, even though I didn't see him on a skinny post, still you could imagine that, that he's pretty strong with that. Um, I liked that he also is someone who um, who has the size and the speed to beat or the size to, like, really win the ball. Like, I... I felt like that, you know, he when he tracks targets well high and behind his frame, he and it he can really minimize how much he needs to leave his feet to even turn behind his break point to extend for the ball. I was watching Travis Kelsey make a a catch a, that Mahomes with one of those ridiculous throws that Mahomes makes in games every week, and and I kind of said that. Kelsey kind of bailed him out. It was a well-placed throw, but it was a difficult throw that had to be made. And Kelsey reached behind his break point, and it reminded me of Washington. Even though I thought Kelsey did it in a more um, refined way, I could see Washington developing along those lines. Um, you know, he tracks the ball well. He's he's great with, um, you know, being able to secure the ball with the correct hand position. I'd like to see him get a little bit tighter with his hands. He's let some balls through his hands with um, targets that are higher, like above at his head or higher, where I think it's hard to get those hands together in that separate in that position, but it really separates the best from the rest. And I get the feeling that he's probably considered one of the best in, in, um, in this class. And I felt like that there's a little bit lacking there that I want to see get just a little bit better. And maybe it's I'll see more of it with greater tape. I've seen him make incredible catches where he's reaching behind his frame with one hand. He's holding one guy with the other. He makes the plays that you'll see in practice and go, ooh, ah. And the same thing you'll see on occasion if he's in that situation in a game. But I wonder where he matches up best because... I didn't think I have real questions about his speed to beat man to man. In that's exactly what I was. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. <laughs> is is he a slot receiver? Is he an outside guy? Where does he? Yeah, what is he going to do? He looks like David Bell to me in that sense. Like that's he's he's more in the David Bell camp of like you're going to use him inside and have him work inside out on sail routes, um, deep crossers, um, seam routes. And then occasionally, if you motion them outside, it's going to be against a, a zone coverage where you have an outside shade defender and he's on the perimeter and he's winning because he's breaking inside and the defender's guarding the boundary. You know, something like that um, I could see. I I don't think he takes advantage of his size well enough as, with his releases right now. Part of that is that he takes an extra step off his back foot before rolling off the front foot. And this is a common college 
flaw where you kind of tip off that you're leaving because you're rocking off your back leg rather than just rolling off the front foot with no wasted motion. So coaches are going to be on him about that from day one. He's got to fix that. Um, but when he is trying to release from coverage, um, press coverage, he doesn't get he doesn't attack the defender. He doesn't get into the defender and use that strength he has and that size he has to his advantage. He's trying to like, he's like Ron Dane, like trying to avoid people when you're a bruiser or Brandon Jacobs, you know, trying to hurdle people when you could just drop the pads and run through them. He's like, as a, he's not being Mike Evans, like, or David Bell, like, or Larry Fitzgerald, like he's trying to be, He's trying to be something he's not, I think, or he's just not comfortable with the timing yet to to understand that use your size, get the defender to react, and then win off of that. I mean, Steve Smith teaches that a lot too. Is saying is like, get into the body of the man, like attack his body and work off of that. And the best small guys always did that, whether you're a running back or a receiver. If you're the first one, if you're the initiator, you're dictating every step from that point forward. And it's just like, I was just watching something about boxing. There's a great YouTube channel called Boxing Life. And this trainer talks about all the great boxers and what their training is. And he said, everything has a, boxing is about rhythm. And every rhythm is, Sugar Ray Robinson talked about that with rhythm, you want to box to your rhythm. And find what your rhythm is. And you develop your rhythm by sparring and training and doing a lot of fighting. And it comes to you. But the jo- the best fighters learn to dictate their rhythm onto the opponent. And there's not... It's like, you know, releasing against cornerbacks is, is a fight. It's maybe not like a boxing match. But there's similar elements in terms of you have to play your... You want to dictate your rhythm on the on the defender because if you do, then the defender's rhythm is disrupted, and then you're leading terms in the same way that a defender who's good, you'll see. Just a great example is the defender who can get a great jam on a receiver early, and it just completely discombobulates the receiver. It's the same thing. It's just like you've got to dictate the rhythm, and I don't think Washington knows how to knows his rhythm yet at the line of scrimmage. And how to dictate it, and that's I see the I see the promise. What I'm concerned about is where he fits, and I think where he fits is as a big slot. And I wonder what the future of the big slot's going to look like now that teams are saying hey, we got to run the ball more. And two, um, you know whether or not he can win against physical coverage right now. Like early, later on, I think he will, but early. Not right now. I don't think he's going to need a little more time. That's where I would put it. Yeah, I've been listening to the conversations that you and Lori have been having about you know slot wide receivers maybe disappearing from the NFL as this pendulum swings back and we're playing you know more of a physical uh, uh, game. But um, Parker Washington has been one of my favorite players because of what you described these spectacular catches that he can make that make you say, uh, uh, you know, somebody asked a question earlier in the offseason, you know, you had one shot, who who would you throw the, the, the ball up to? And Parker Washington, you know, you, you might say Quentin Johnson or, Johnston or uh, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. at the time, and I'm like, 
for a little for, in 5'10, 212 pounds, built like a running back, I would put Parker Washington in that class. He has some of those abilities to go up and, and, and fight for the ball. And quite frankly, I think last year when Jahan Dotson was there, I think between the two of them, they had some of the best hands uh, in the in the country at, at Penn State. But I, I like he is built like a running back, but doesn't always play with that physicality. And I don't know that he's, you know, when I think of slot wide receivers, I think of guys who are just really hard to keep track of. Uh, you know, Golden Tate was one. Um, uh, uh, Hunter Renfro is, is one at, at, at times. I, and I don't know that that Parker Washington is that guy. So I'm like, what position is he going to play? Because I don't think he's – I don't think any um, boundary wide receivers are going to be scared of facing this dude. Facing, so is he uh, five – so he's 5'10", not – because, like, they have him listed at 6'3", but I trust where you're at with him. Six, no, 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 no. Parker Washington? Yeah. Parker, Parker Washington's a 5'10", 5'11 guy. Okay. Then, yeah. then I can give you a comp for him that – it's been a while since he was even in the league or drafted, but a guy who you just described that reminds me of that was Josh Reed, the Buffalo Bills mm. second round pick out of LSU wow. who won the Bolitnikoff award, who made incredible catches, um, but was basically a, a less explosive running back put in the slot. And that's, mm -hmm. that could be mm -hmm. the, that would be like the downside projection if if, if you're going to compare based on career potential yeah but okay. but i think david bell could be the upside potential so and okay. I, and i think david but. bell will have a good career so we'll we'll see but but yeah that's that's fascinating you know what who's what's your fourth what's your fourth um i sam i think I've, i think that i've said some of these um you know i've mixed some of these together so uh, this next one is understanding. Okay, so I've talked about drafting. This is actually when we get into the season and we're trying to win our leagues. We're trying to win our college matchups, okay? We need to understand that there is a – early in the season, these Power 5 schools, so Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, they play these G5 teams. You know, uh, Ohio State's going to play Ohio. You know, uh, Michigan's going to play Colorado State and Hawaii. They're going to get demolished. Hawaii's going to get demolished. Colorado State is going to get demolished. Ohio's going to get demolished. But when you get later in the season and those teams start playing each other, you have the recipe for, you know, some really high-scoring games. Just for example, uh, last week, SMU and Houston played each other in a game. Mr. Waldman, there were six Teen touchdown passes <laughs> thrown in that game between the two quarterbacks, Clayton Tune and Tanner Mordecai. Tanner Mordecai threw nine touchdown passes. You gotta be kidding me! I wow. mean, it's in some leagues they scored eighty points between um, the two of them. Now, on the other hand, C.J. Stroud was playing Northwestern in a cold and windy interconference Big Ten game, where I think he threw for seventy-five yards. Passing, so it's like understanding that uh, in in college these action these games end up being high scoring, and then in the really in the Big Ten those games can start being lower scoring because they're 
these teams know each other. You know, the, the, the weather gets – it gets cold. The defenses start playing better. So it's just understanding that those games get tighter while as the G5 get – uh, you know, when Hawaii in the Mountain West, when Hawaii plays um, uh, San Jose State at starting at 11 Eastern time. Yes. That game might be, you know, 45 to 55 and you're asleep by the time that game is over. But, oh, Shevin Cordero and Elijah Cooks have put together, you know, for a 40 point game and a 35 point game. So it's just understanding that, yes, you can rely. I've got Carson Steele, the, the running back at Ball State. I've got him starting in some leagues today. He's, he had two touchdowns in the first half, 100 yards in the first half. But I'm starting earlier in the season when he's playing Michigan and Ohio State and, you know, and Illinois. But now that the Mac guys are playing against each other, we can start those guys with confidence in high-scoring matchups. So it's just understanding that the, the G5 players, they can explode late in the season. You can see like 0-0-0, and then late in the season they really go off. That feels like the idea of like say, say if the Bengals were as good as they were supposed to be on paper, um, and and they were rolling and they owned the AFC North, and now they're gonna have a they're gonna have some buy they're gonna have a bye week and they don't, and they're just trying to stay healthy. You're gonna pull Samaje Ryan out, who's not doing anything for you other than occasionally giving you some bye week points if you even dared try to start him and predict that, which you wouldn't have. But at the end of the season, you're like, Oh yeah, I'm starting Samaje P. Ryan, who's probably gonna score, you know, two touchdowns in that game and get and and put up triple digits in, in rushing production. So it's that similar thing where you've you, you know, you just kinda of have to understand the, the ebb and flow of the game, the environment of the teams and conference strengths and and know what the matchups are really about. Playing yeah. those matchups. You know, that's great. Doing the NFL comparison, it's some of these week seventeen week sixteen and week seventeen heroes. Uh I remember Adam Thielen a few years ago was one. Now Adam Thielen ended up becoming a a guy that we actually could rely on season long. But remember Tim Tim Hightower. Yes, late in the season, Tim Hightower, Tim Hightower with the Saints, you know, going off uh, late in the season. I don't yeah, remember he, the guy's he, name, but I won a championship from the the running back for the Raiders, who used to be with the University of Washington, who was kind of like a fullback running back hybrid, who had like a nice like three or four games. I don't remember his name, but we'll figure it out by the end here. But he was one of those guys that like. You you go. There's no way I'm drafting him, but I'm picking him up off the waiver wire and and rolling with him down the line. So while you're looking him up because you're curious, I can see already, which is great. I'm I'm gonna go with um, my fourth guy, and I really like this player. He caught my eye last year. He continues to catch my eye this year. I'm not saying he's great, but I see a little Corey Davis in him. And that's Xavier Hutchinson with Iowa State. I'm a big Xavier Hutchinson fan. He's listed at 6'3", 210, I think. I've seen him against um, Iowa, Oklahoma State, Texas, Oklahoma. Um, you know, I like that he, they use him at a variety of positions. They use him on both sides of the field. Um, he's someone that seems to have that patient but sudden quality with his footwork to really understand how to dictate rhythm to get to dictate his rhythm to get off the line he has a really good double up move which is you know basically sticking the the 
the same side foot in succession to kind of throw a defender off, making him think that maybe he's running a, a too quick release, but he's actually, you know, doubling it up, kind of like a double jab instead of one, instead of a jab and then a cross. He's throwing like the, he's throwing the double jab. Um, so he kind of does that really well. He can be a little more dramatic with the difference between the patience and suddenness when he's facing off coverage, but he's really good at it when he's facing tight man. And he can tell a story with his short routes. To me, if a receiver can be efficient but have some techniques to manipulate a defender with a short stem, um, whether it's a slant um, or a quick um, hook or you know stop route, and you can tell the story by how, where you sell the sell the stem or how you drive against the defender um, and manipulate those stems. That tells me you you get it as a route runner. You may not have a full toolkit yet as a route runner, but you're telling me that that you've got something to build with. Like you've got some feel for how to be a route runner. Um, you you get what has to happen here. And his double moves show that too, because he can set up the double move with a really believable break step. That long elongated violent break step that you want to see that precedes the drop and wait where you drop your hips and sit down in that chair to come to a sudden stop. And he can do both of those things with, with routes that break back to the quarterback, but he also uses it really well on the double move. And he can trick an when you can trick an off coverage defender with that move and do it smoothly, that's, that's pretty darn good. And he, he, the, the hip mobility, that means that, He's going to be able to run every type of route you want him to run if he works at it. It's you know he's he's mobile enough in in the body areas that he needs to be. Um, he has the quick three step breaks. He has um, good um, you know a, a nice hard head fake that he can use to sell um, into a long break step. Um, he's good with jerk routes. Um, you know, and he's a bigger dude. So when you see somebody doing that and see that kind of fluidity, it kind of reminds me in a way of like Marvin Jones, who's a pro's pro, who was in that 6'2", 6'3", maybe he's more 6'1", but he seemed, he's in that low six-foot range who's kind of tall and skinny, but can, can work in the middle, can break tackles, could go deep. He could do pretty much everything you asked him to do as a route runner or a ball winner um, in the NFL, even if he wasn't an elite player in any one thing um what i like too is he tracks the ball well at, at the boundary he can he's not just a toe tapper at the boundary he understands to drag his feet right now and that's going to earn him playing time if everything else works out because when you get hit and you can and you know how to to control your feet at the boundary you're going to win catches in bounds um and he does keep his feet on the ground when he doesn't have to jump for a ball. Like he, he understands how to do that. And my favorite thing about him, in addition to that, he can make those full extension catches and, and really extend his body is that he has great transitions. And this is such an underrated part of wide receiver play in the NFL, because there are so many players who are Uber athletes and they get the ball in their hand. And the first thing they do is take a long turn upfield or they don't or they 
they turn and just kind of stop or they're really slow and they want to assess where everybody is and plot their perfect route to make like seven guys miss and take it and house it. That's what they're like. Maybe they're not thinking that, but that's the, that's what I imagine that they're doing. Like that. It's still thinking high school. Like I did it in high school. I did it occasionally on college, just not as often as I used to, but I still believe in my mind I can do it because I've done it enough here at this level that I'm, I'm thinking that it's going to be the same in the NFL. But what they don't realize is that you really have to be so sharp and turning immediately north-south and just getting, getting downhill as fast as possible. And part of that is minimizing how long your steps are, being able to swivel your hips, being able to plant the toe and just really just turn and get downhill. And Hutchinson, for a bigger guy, I've seen him make guys miss in tight quarters where he immediately gets downhill and he's so efficient with his steps that he turns gains of, you know, 7, 10, 14, 15 yards that look like he should have been dropped at the catch point because he understands how to transition like that. And so there's a lot of little details about his game that I find compelling. And he might be my favorite receiver in this draft class. Not saying he's the best. Um, there's a lot of guys that I like probably more than him. Um, but he's the guy that's one of my favorites that I think could have a good NFL career and maybe outplay his draft position if it's not a high draft position. I think I'm trying to think of the questions that the audience would ask. And I know for me, um, Iowa State kind of recruits the, these basketball rebounder types, and my mind immediately goes to Alan Lazard. I don't think of Alan Lazard as being a guy that can run after the catch, but it sounds like um, Hutchinson, you think Hutchinson will be able to. I think so. I think that there's some skill yeah. there for that to happen. Now, I've had some bad luck with with scouting a couple of I with an Iowa State receiver who who I, I love. I wasn't going to bring it up. I wasn't going to bring That's it up. That's all right. I'll I be the first. Bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah, certainly if you're if you're if you're thinking Hakeem Butler, you know, certainly there's that that there, but I haven't seen the drops and I kind of downplayed the drops with Butler um that that I saw. And part of that was, um, you know, I just drops aren't a sticky stat. So that's part of that. But I still find it a, I still find Hakeem Butler a mystery, to be honest with you, because I never got, it, it was it, apparently it so didn't work out that you didn't even get the chance to see him play, you know? So there had to be, to me, when that happens and you get switched to a different position, that tells me that they didn't think maybe he, th th this is totally speculation, but it's either a work issue where he just didn't understand how to prepare at the level he needed to, to be cognizant of the different types of coverages that he would have to read and be on the same page. Or he was a player that they felt like only had a limited range of, of where he could be effective based on how he processed the game. And they wanted to narrow that field to tight end, possibly as a last-ditch effort um, to go from there. Or, like I've seen with some players, and it's 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 rare though it's happened, is maybe they just uh, maybe they just decided based on draft capital and other guys that were a priority that they weren't going to give him any reps and just kind of overlooked looked where he was, and then he got labeled as a 
as an also-ran, and no team really even gave him a look. I mean, it's kind of Raheem Mostert bounced around to seven teams. You know, th- those types of things happen. Kurt Warner, same thing, you know. Um, but, yeah, Xavier Hutchinson, they're different players. Um, but that's my answer to that would probably just be I do see I see efficiency with movement there. I don't think he's a – like the comparison, Corey Davis. You wouldn't look at comp- Corey Davis and say, wow, he's a great runner after the catch or wow, he's a he's a dynamic deep threat. You just say he's a good number two receiver who's developed yeah. into that, that people thought was going to be the next A.J. Green, or some people did, um, and he's not that. He was never that player. Marcel Reese is the name we were yes! looking for. Marcel Reese. Marcel Reese. See, see, thank you for scratching that itch. That's that's that was it. Marcel Reese. Yes. I know when that happens, there are audience members who are screaming in their cars or wherever they're listening to. You know. So uh Marcel Reese. You you just you just saved people from having a bad day. Yeah. So thanks, Felix. Yeah. And yeah. and I will uh I will try next time to remember names of people so that you do not have this type of ride home because you've already had enough frustration probably in your day. So so well, but that's that's a great point. So what's your final point for I think strategy? that I've covered them all. So really? just to recap, okay. Understanding the value of the college startup picks versus the NFL startup picks, specifically when we're making trades from the NFL side, acquire additional college picks. We you need to understand that we're taking a risk there. Uh, and on the college side when we're drafting, we're drafting Debbie guys first. So the guys that we can you know, relatively confidently project to the NFL because we are developing that pipeline. Uh, number three is understanding collegiate systems and the players match for those uh, those systems. Uh, uh, number four is to, uh, and I think you know this is kind of crossing over, but just under properly uh, valuing those CFF players. Don't be like me and draft George Halani and Warren Jackson too early, or if you are really following college football, you know, the Zach Kitley disciples, um, uh, they're at Western Kentucky and at Texas Tech now. Those guys put up a lot of points, but they're probably not NFL players. Daywood Davis uh, at Western Kentucky and uh, Malachi Corley at Western Kentucky. They're going to score 25 points for you a week on the college side, probably not NFL NFL players, so let's uh, not draft them too early. And then just understanding when we're playing in, in, in C2C leagues uh, through the season, understanding that late in the season when those uh, group of five teams start playing interconference games, when Ohio and Ball State and Toledo and Western Michigan and on the West Coast when Nevada plays Fresno State, those guys can be – those games can be really high scoring games and we can get a lot of value out of starting those players. So those are love those it. Are my five. Those were great. Those were great tips. And our, the final guy I'm going to look at before we do that, I'll say this is that um, one of the players that I do want to talk about probably at some point is a Western Kentucky quarterback who I've had some people call me about this week and say, Hey, you should check him out. And nobody in like media scouting circles, I'll just put it that way, um, that we're just kind of, that's fascinating. And I know someone who works with this gentleman, Austin Reed. So um, we'll talk about him down the line possibly. But, you know, 
I'm not one to to be on the, you know, I'm often not the first. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, if Austin Reed becomes an, I mean, he was on waiver wires. So the fact that you're saying this, that, you know, people are wondering, hey, Austin Reed, maybe, even even just maybe, is going to send his value. Like That's too because he's already an elite. Uh, he's already a QB one in, in college in college fantasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's probably. I would say this: don't go crazy because from what I heard, um, I'll just say that it's more. Could he have a chance? Like he's really good. He kept catching my eye, type of thing. I'll just put it that way. Um, and we'll hear more about that and from the some of the people that 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 said it. But um. I'll say this, you know, the the RSP pre-draft, certainly, you know, when it comes to talking about college prospects, I'm not going to sit there and tell you the latest narrative that happened. You know, the great thing is that we have Felix to be able to do a lot of that because he keeps up with the game, as you can see, in, in really great fashion. You get to hear a lot of the history about these players and the developments that are going on week to week. And a lot of those things can have some bearing on, you know, how people scout these prospects. Um, but what I'll, you know, what I'll tell you about with the RSP is once I do scout all these players, you're going to get, um, you know, very in-depth profiles, oftentimes with a kind of a unique take on, on things that, that have value or may not have as much value as, as some may think. Um, and with a proven track record of now going on 18 years, that's right. The RSP is about to graduate high school. I'm not kicking it out of the house just yet. Um, but you, you know, it's, a uh, you know, it's, it's legal. It's, it's about to be legal and, uh, it's available every April 1st. You get a pre-draft and post-draft guide and the newsletter that comes out monthly from June through December, um, you know, it's a great fantasy resource. It's also one of the most looked at um, resources for scout, um, for cross-checking for NFL scouts. According to, I believe this is correct, Rhett Lashley's recruiting director at SMU, um, Alex Brown, who gets to visit with scouting direct um, with scouts on a weekly basis. And his job is to, to meet with them and talk about players and, you know, and coordinate those types of things. And he sees what these guys read. And he tells me on a regular basis that the RSP is one of the most looked at guides for that purpose. And people have talked about it to him. And uh, so if it's good enough for them, you know, it might even be better for you if you're a fantasy player um, from that perspective. And you can get it available at mattwaldman.com or look at for... Um, other, you can look at my site, mattwaldmanrsp.com, just to see examples of the work that it's available there. Um, past issues are available for $9.95, and I usually offer an early bird discount early, within about a month from now. Um, I'll do I'll do it for sometime between a week or two um, for people to who are new to kind of get a, get a little bit of a discount and get their beaks wet with it and, and see what they think. But I would say most of the time, you know, if you get the RSP, you tend to stay an RSP um, subscriber. Um, and I'm very, I'm very proud of that and very grateful for the people who continue to support the work every year and enjoy the work and find it educational as well as helpful in this space. So I'm gonna, And I preface that, Felix, because the last guy, I haven't watched his tape at USC yet. 
Um, so I'm, you know, I'm not gonna be the first to tell you what he's done at USC, but at Pitt, I watched Jordan Addison, and and I watched the six foot, one hundred seventy five pound player, who, if I were to put him on a comparison spectrum, T. Y. Hilton is at the top of the list, and I'm a, I am an unabashed T. Y. Hilton was an underrated, borderline elite player. Um, maybe not there, but if he could have stayed healthy, the he played big. He could play big at the boundary. He could win those matchup routes. Um, and he was an absolute devastating threat in the slot if you could use him that when they used him that way. The mid-tier guy, if you want to call him a mid-tier guy in this archetype, and he's really not, he's, he's just not quite as high as T.Y. Hilton on the list for me, at least not yet, and that's Devonta Smith. And I think of Devonta Smith, and I think that guy belongs on this list. Jordan Addison, Jordan Addison to me is not that far away from Devonta Smith when I look at, at his play. You know, the thing that really fits these three guys that they have in common is they can take hard enough contact on one play that will make them slow to rise at, to get from the turf. But on the very next play, they're going to whip you in tight coverage on a vertical target. Um, and they're going to do it against top competition like Clemson's defense in 2021, um, where I think he likely suffered a concussion during the play prior to the touchdown that he scored and then later left the game. Now, you know, we could, and I want to note this. I mean, as a guy who scouts football, there's this idea of like, there's this uncomfortable reality, Felix. It's kind of like when people talk about, you know, gameness. I think of like when people talk about dog fighting in the past and they would talk about what they liked about pit bulls for dog fighting was the idea that they were so loyal and they were so tough that they would do anything to please. And it, that's a tragic way of looking at it. But when I, when I think of like scouting the, 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 un, the, the part about the, the hot dog being made when it comes to football is that this is a violent game and it's a collision sport. And obviously I hate to compare something inhumane like dog fighting in this respect um, to it, but there's an uncomfortable reality of like when I watch a player get concussed during a game, my first thought is I'm concerned. Is he going to be okay? Why don't they have him off the field? But I would be lying to you as someone who watches the game that when I see a guy and I go, I find out that he suffered a concussion the play prior, probably suffered at the play prior and scored a touchdown and got up and did that. While I don't want to ever see him do that again. And while I know that they, he will probably try to do it again. Um, I, I do admire the fact that, that the player is a competitor and what we need to saw the way my solution to that is that we as a society and um, as NFL organizations need to take the lead on making sure that they are protecting the players from themselves in this level um, because players are under too much pressure to just say, no, nope, I'm leaving. There's some that do. But that's the rarity. And you don't want people, 
you don't want to bet on players being the exception to their rule. So I kind of wanted to, to mention that because I do admire it, but I feel really ambivalent about the fact that I admire it. And I just want to be honest about it. It's kind of a, it's kind of a crappy part of what I, it's probably one of my least favorite parts of what I do for a, a living is that when I see something like that, my first thought is, is he, is he okay? But my second thought is, what a baller that he got up off the mat and like did and, and had the ability to do that. And then part, and then I feel sick to my, sick of, you know, to my stomach that I felt that way. But it's also, you know, what I learned watching the game. And it's a complicated thing. And, and it's one of those things that, you know, looking at it now, you know, I just want him to be okay about that. But if you want to comment about that, you know. I mean, I don't know why you feel bad about it because I'm, I bet you that there's going to be a general manager or NFL coach that notices the same thing, and they'll describe that as football character. Yes. Yes. They'll describe that as football character. Um, I, the other thing I would just want to say is that, you know, in, in our community, we've been comparing uh, Jordan Addison to Devonta Smith. So I was sitting here waiting for you to say the name, and I was just like, I hope he says Devonta Smith. I hope he says. <laughs> so we, we're breathing a sigh of relief because, you know, it gives some legitimacy to our own evaluations. We always want to hear your thoughts uh, on oh, well, these players. Kind, and sometimes but... when you say, when you say, you know, all right, this is who I'm comparing to, it's like, all right. We're, yeah, we're, you know, totally. We might be on the right track. You might be on the right track. Totally see it. The way he varies his footwork off the line, the violence of his feet. You, you know, he's really violent with his feet. He knows how to dictate the rhythm that he has. He works at full speed to attack the leverage of defenders off coverage. There are a lot of receivers that just don't do that well. So he understands how to dictate terms. And when you're a small guy, you better play big. And part of playing big isn't jumping, just jumping high. It's or making catches and being tough. It's that establishing your rhythm. You're being the bully conceptually to dictate terms. And he dictates terms. And he can tell a story even with zone routes. There are a lot of receivers that tell a good story and manipulate with their stems man to man, but he does it against zone. Um, I've seen him set up zone defenders at the end of his stem and then just really just snap off his breaks in a manner that that's just fantastic. So, you know, when I look at this player and I see a continuum of T.Y. Hilton and Devonta Smith, I'm excited about Jordan Addison, and I would not be surprised at all if he's not one of my top three receivers, if not my top receiver on the board when it's all said and done. We'll see, because um, there's a couple other compelling guys at the very least um, that I'm sure we'll get to talking about down the line here, Felix. You know, I just forgot. We just gave away a signed Jordan Addison USC jersey uh, at Campus to Canton, um, and we're giving away a, uh, a signed B. John Robinson jersey. So if you want more information on that, you can check out the Campus to Canton YouTube page. But, no, I mean, he's been he, – he has been one of the most productive wide receivers since he uh, came in as a freshman. We declared as an athlete, he he was he could have played safety, uh, but ended up playing uh, wide receiver at, at Pitt. And um, you know, shout out to Brian Chacoches who kind of tagged him in the early in the process, say, "Hey, this is somebody we should gravitate towards." And uh, he was right. He was right. Well, if there's anything you should be All gravitating up. to, 
is these campus to Canton leagues. I'm, I'm really excited about getting started with mine. Again, you can go to campus to You can follow Felix sharp at sharp review. You can find me at Matt Waldman and uh, we will see you um, probably either in a couple weeks or in early December. Depends on what we're going to do with the, with the Turkey day festivities. You know, I, I, you know, if we got family and things coming in, we may take some time off here and, and, and get, and get to it another week. But um, if not, then we'll be providing you a little bit of a Thanksgiving treat. Just depends on what goes on here. But we'll see you soon no matter what. And thanks again for listening to us. Have a good week.